Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm really excited because we have a special guest with us. It's uh, someone who's played quite a few roles at the Dougie Center, Aaron Schuster, who's actually calling in from Michigan. Uh, first came to the Dougie Center as a participant in our group for young adults grieving a death. She then returned as a volunteer and also as an active participant in our alumni association. Today, Aaron joins us to talk about the unique aspects that come with grieving after a suicide death. Welcome, Aaron. I'm so glad you're here today. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Can you talk a little bit about your connection to the Dougie Center? Yeah, I actually met a totally random person who was moving out of the house that I was moving into just two weeks after my brother died, um, who found out what had happened and sent me this lovely letter and talked about two kids of a friend of hers who had died of suicide who went to the Dougie Center and recommended that I call and um, get hooked up with a group there. And I did. I think I I wanted to look into support groups, but I don't know that I would have necessarily found the Dougie Center or that I would have been as proactive about it as I was if I hadn't talked to her. So it was a really fortuitous meeting. Mm -hmm. And so you participated in a young adult group for... How many years were you there? Three? I think it was two and a half years. Two yeah, half almost years. three. And then when you closed from that, you decided to come back as a volunteer. I was really excited about that. You had initially suggested that I wait a while and then actually actually came back to me uh, just a month or so after I, <laughs> I closed and said, we're training in October. But uh, I, w- I waited until February and um, I think that was a good move. And, and by then I was really, really ready to be a volunteer. And um, I just, I absolutely loved working with the kids and um, getting to talk to all the different people in groups. And I subbed in a bunch of different groups too. And then I was um, the first wave of volunteers for the new Pathways program and helping get that going and that was like unbelievable I really loved that program and I'm so excited that it's moving forward and doing so well right now and for those of you who are listening our pathways program where is our first um, series of groups for kids who have a parent or a sibling with an advanced serious illness so it's providing support for families prior to a death Um, and Erin you know your experience with volunteering is making me realize that we'll put in the show notes today a link to how you can search for programs similar to the Dougie Center in your own community in case you're somebody who's interested in looking into volunteering so Erin I'm wondering could you tell us just a little bit about the the many deaths that you've experienced in your life Yeah. So I have lost a cousin to a drunk driving accident. My grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack. Um, My cousin died of a drug overdose. And my uncle died of a sudden aneurysm. My grandfather died of cancer. I have actually several relatives who've died of cancer. And then my brother died of suicide um, in October 2010. And so... all those deaths happen in a pretty short period of time. Is that true? 
Um, yeah, well, I had like two groups of three that happened really close together. Um, in 2003 and into 2004, I had um, my, my cousin in the car accident, my grandfather dying of a heart attack, and then the other cousin who died of a drug overdose. And then in 2010, it was um, my uncle passed away on Father's Day, my grandfather passed away um, just before Labor Day, and then my brother was in October. So that was all like within a couple months of each other. So two sort of series of three deaths that you experienced. Yeah. And I know today, you know, we're really going to focus on what you and your family experienced with your brother's death since it was a suicide. But I'm just curious if, was there anything from those first three deaths that you experienced that played a role in the grief that you went through when those other three deaths occurred? Yeah, you know, I think, um, especially with the, you know, I had a cousin with the the drunk driving accident, another with a drug overdose, and it was like, you know, I got to see how strongly my family kind of came together and rallied, and sometimes you get people who have questions that just come up because they don't know what to say, and and things just kind of blurt out before they realize that they might be saying something offensive, and so being able to deal with that and and have responses to you know when you have to sort of defend the person who died of something that you weren't really happy about that that can be a whole experience of its own um and and so it really gave me um a lot of insight into having to do that and also being able to see that um you know I have such a strong family support that is sturdy enough to stand up and say you know no we loved him and this was just something that happened and it doesn't have any uh, reflection on the rest of his life. So. so your family really rallied around despite maybe outside people having some questions or judgments about how the yeah. person died. Yeah. And, and that makes me wonder, you know, in a previous episode, I was talking with our um, chief executive officer, Donna Sherman, about some of the different terms that people use when they talk about suicide. And so I'm just curious, what, what was it like or what is it still like for you to navigate how other people talk about your brother's death? I'm definitely uh, very uh, against saying committed. I really liked Donna's explanation about why saying committed suicide is not something that we want to say. And I'm really big on correcting people and I'm not afraid to, to stop them mid-sentence and, and say, you know, I prefer died by suicide. And I thought it was interesting because I, I had never really thought of that particular verbiage before, but going to the Dougie Center, no one says committed there. So you just get used to not saying it. And I didn't ever realize that I wasn't saying it until I was talking to my mom and I said, died by suicide. And she stopped me and said, what did you just say? And I said, oh, I guess that's how the Dougie Center always says it. And she said, she was like blown away. She was so, um, she said that made her feel so much better and she really liked that verbiage and that really changed things for her too and now she corrects people all the time as well you know there's so much that goes along with a suicide where everyone feels a different way and there's always guilt in some way or another you know wondering why the person did that and you know on and on and and committed just like adds a whole other layer to that you know it's almost like when someone says oh I heard you're brother committed suicide it's like well it's almost like they're accusing him of of something horrible and not just talking about a thing that happened so yeah it seems to call to mind a lot of um fault finding or blame in some way that we're committed 
Well, you know, if we're talking about guilt, you mentioned um, having, like, that most people that you've ex- run into will experience some degree of guilt or regret, um, particularly around a suicide death. Are, are there specific regrets that you have related to your brother's death? I don't think so. You know, he, he struggled with a lot of things, depression, and, you know, we think he may have had some issues with bipolar disorder for a real long time. He was 26 when he passed away, but it, it had been more than 10 years that he'd been really struggling. For me, I, I had to kind of put up barriers for myself just so that I could get through the day and and get through high school and college and everything else. And I had to just kind of separate myself from him. And I, I don't feel regret for like not stepping in and helping him. You know, if he had ever come to me and said something to me, I would have been 100% supportive and tried to help. Um, and my parents certainly were over, above and beyond whatever they could do to help him whenever he came to them and even when he didn't. So it, it's hard for me to say specifically that I feel real regrets. Well, it's interesting, you know, we talk about there's so many different emotions associated with grief and and a lot of times there can be the kind of hallmarky ones, you know, of sadness and heartbreak and loving memories and these sort of warm warm feelings. They're, I wouldn't say cuddly because they're not exactly comfortable for people, but and then there's those other emotions that are often associated with grief, uh, rage, guilt, regret, shame. They're ones that don't often get spoken of, but it seems like many people will carry those around. What's been your relationship with sort of those other emotions of grief? Yeah, I, I mean, one thing that I I really didn't even bring up, I think more, more than one time in the group that I was in, is a feeling of relief. I mean, it's it's really hard to talk about that and not feel like you're just being this cold-hearted person, but when you're dealing with someone who struggled for so long and, you know, had problems and suicide attempts in the past and it was just like one disaster after another and you're always kind of waiting for that phone call to come in the middle of the night that you just don't ever want. You know, there is a little bit of relief when it finally happens that like, okay, I don't have to be waiting on the edge of my seat Kind of the every thing single been, night because you've been sort of bracing for something to happen for yeah. so long yeah so it's not that I am happy that he's gone because I'm definitely not <laughs> but um you know the the relief was there the relief and, around maybe the circumstances of yeah what he was experiencing and how that would have affecting your family yeah you know it's so interesting because in I think you and I maybe have even connected about this a little bit in the past um of that that feeling of relief and what I found is when I share about my grandmother who died when she was hit and killed by a subway train and we never knew for sure if it was suicide or an accident or if somebody pushed her and I always took it as suicide that was my sense of how she died And I experienced a very similar sense of relief because she had been struggling so much with anxiety and just really struggling since my grandfather had died. And so there were phone calls all the time and we never knew what was going to happen. And there was like a new unsettling conflict that could occur daily. Uh, So when I first heard that my grandmother died, I felt that same relief and then quickly buried that because I was like, oh, 
I don't know who I could talk to about this. And now if I share that in group, there's usually at least one or two kids or teenagers or young adults who I see kind of shaking their head and wanting to acknowledge they too have felt some degree of relief, whether it was a suicide death or maybe somebody who had been ill for a very long time. Yeah. And then I'm curious, do you have anything you want to say about anger, rage? Um, (laughs) well, I was definitely pretty angry after he died. Um, I had a lot of ragey moments and I certainly wasn't very pleasant to be around for my roommates, (laughs) but they put up with me. (laughs) Um, and I did, you know, I was, I, I think I just reached a point where I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, I've held back for so long. I'm just gonna let myself be mad. And I wanted to just smash things and I did smash things and you know I just sort of like let myself go in like a rebellious I want to say moment but it was really like a couple of weeks a couple of moments (laughs) strung together and um you know I finally my one of my roommates who's my very best friend um kind of sat me down one day and said you know I I understand that this horrible thing happened to you and that you're probably not going to ever be the same again but at some point you need to decide if you know all this rage is going to be who you are now or if you're gonna you know calm it down a little bit and be a little bit easier to be around for your friends and he said whatever you decide is up to you and we understand and and that's fine but he said you should just know that it's probably going to be difficult for your current friends to understand and be around you when you're this angry and lashing out all the time and so for me that you know that sounds a little bit harsh (laughs) but for me it was it was helpful because it let me understand that this was a choice that I was making and I made consciously to want to be angry and so I needed to decide is that what I want to keep doing or do I want to learn how to work through this and not be so enraged all the time anymore. What do you remember feeling when he, I mean, besides rage, when he first, you know, sat you down and had that conversation with you? I was impressed with how supportive that conversation actually was, because I think that it could have easily been a conversation of like, we're done with you. You know, you're, you've turned into a crazy person. We can't be around you anymore. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead it was, it was said so patiently and in such an understanding way that it let me sit back and kind of take it in and and decide what I wanted to do because it wasn't an ultimatum that I was given it wasn't anything else it was just like you know think about what you're doing and what you want to how you want to be <laughs> so yeah it seems um, like he almost put like a container around this really large messy experience that you were having to say yeah I see you I understand we'll still love you and accept you as our friend and it may be really difficult for us to show up for you in the same way that we have in the past yes exactly so when you when you took that in and that experience how did it change you over the next you know couple of months um it just made me a lot more aware of things in my grief that that were coming up. I made myself be more aware of things that were triggering my grief. You know, there were certain TV shows that I stopped watching because I felt like they were triggering things for me. 
you know, I made an effort to come to the Dougie Center. That was one of the things that helped a lot. And um, and just making sure that I talked to the people around me and just said, you know, I'm having a really hard day today. I need to just sit at home or I need you to take me to the pub down the street for a beer or something. <laughs> so, so you got much more deliberate about asking for help, seeking out help, and then also maybe making some conscious decisions of things that were exacerbating your grief in the moment. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So it seems like that was a pretty pivotal conversation in your process. Yeah, it was very pivotal. It was actually a conversation that I sort of repeated to my mother about a year later because she was really struggling. And she's talked about that moment before and acknowledged that I said that to her, but it didn't have the effect on her that it did on me. And I think it was just because her struggle was so much stronger and she just wasn't ready for that yet. So it's a thing of like, we can't just go out and tell everybody we know who's grieving the same thing that it really <laughs> exactly. has to be, you know, it seems like it was pretty specific too to the close relationship you had with that friend and then being honoring of the relationship you had with your brother and what the, you know, what your grief was like uh, in contrast maybe with, with your mom it was your sibling who died um you know and there may be a lot of people listening who have also had siblings die but maybe have had parents or partners or spouses uh, or children die and i'm i'm curious what do you think might be unique about the fact that it was your brother who died one thing that i don't, I don't necessarily think it's unique to a sibling but just to a young person dying is that um the second you say if you say it was your grandfather or even your parent who died it doesn't necessarily trigger more questions about how they died. You know, I think if someone's older, it's going to be assumed that it was cancer or old age or whatever. But if it's if you say it's your sibling or a child or a young person, my experience has been that there's an immediate follow-up question of, oh my God, what happened? And so with a suicide death too, there's that, okay, now I'm confronted with this situation where I have to tell this person that it was a suicide death. Mm -hmm. And whether you're okay with that or not, I was usually okay with it, but also annoyed at the same time because I knew the second I told them it was a suicide, they would immediately regret having even opened their mouth and (laughs) asked me. (laughs) And so then I end up comforting them and saying, no, it's okay, it's okay. As, As comfortable as I am saying that my brother died of suicide, it's a little bit weird to have to say it to the person who's checking me out at Fred Meyer, you know, the grocery store. So uh, it, it just sort of, it seemed like it's always sort of triggers extra stuff that you might not be quite ready or willing to deal with in the moment. So a lot of extra layers of conversation that take you to a pretty intimate level really quickly, possibly yeah. with a total stranger. And I'm curious too, because I know for me, my friend died by suicide and every person, why? Like I was going to have the answer to this yeah. huge question. Is that something you run into a lot? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was something that I, I hit my brother's funeral. It was like all day long. Every single person who walked in would just go, oh, my God, I thought he was OK. What happened? Mm. It's like, well, I don't know. And mm. I probably never will. And, you know, the fact that he he was doing well leading up to his death. So it, it's harder, I think, for people who didn't see him that often 
myself included, because I lived in Portland and he lived in Michigan, you know, for, for people who didn't see him that often, they, they thought he was doing fine. And, and to be honest, my parents thought he was doing fine. It came completely out of the blue for them, despite his history. I think it's just a knee-jerk reaction for people to go, oh, my God, why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's it's just a question. It's a question on everyone's mind. It's a question on our mind. But um, no one knows. No one's ever going to know. Even if there was a note that said this is why, it's not necessarily why. So it's it's really um, just something that we're just not – it's just a question that's never going to be answered. So I just don't really – I don't really think of it that way. I think of it as he died of suicide, and that's just in the same way that he would have died of cancer. So thinking about it that way sort of helps to quell that need to find out more or spend a lot of time wondering about the why or pondering the why. Yeah, and that's certainly unique to each person, too. I mean, my mother wonders why, I know, Um, even though she's comfortable with saying he died by suicide and changing the language, that doesn't change the fact that she wants to know why. So... It's just how I've personally dealt with it is to just not think of it in that way and and to not wonder. Right. And again, like how important to find the thing that works for each of us uniquely. And I know, you know, for me with my grandmother, I spend less time wondering the why of her death and more the why of the anxiety that plagued her for so much of her life. Like why was that part of her life is where, where my mind will often go. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way. My brother and I were like night and day and the things that plagued him and, and worried him all the time that he just couldn't let go of were things that I could have cared less about, (laughs) you know, thing, you know, what is, what does my family think of me? What is the next door neighbor think of me? Um, just that constant worry of, of how do I appear in everyone else's eyes and and getting upset if my impression of how they view me is different and stuff like that is 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 a lot of what plagued him it wasn't the only thing but um for me I just don't have those worries so it's really really hard for me to wrap my brain around why that plagued him so much that it led to his death um which can be such a challenge when you know we can't get inside someone else's head, nor can we live their life. So to know exactly what would lead up to a suicide death in that way. Yeah. So Erin, I know we're coming up to the close of this episode, but you're coming up on five years since your brother's death. Yes. In October. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you could have told yourself back then? I think that people will understand and um, it, they understand better if I learn how to tell them. <laughs> so I, I thankfully learned that fairly quickly after his death, but I feel like if, if I had been more confident in that knowledge right away, that it would have maybe been a little bit easier for me and, and the people around me. Mm. Um, not just how to talk about that he died of suicide, but how to talk about how I was dealing with it. And what you needed and what you didn't need and what was helpful and what wasn't helpful. It's shockingly helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Erin, I really want to thank you for joining us all the way from Michigan to talk with us today um, about your experiences with dealing with a suicide death. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to be able to talk to you again. 
And thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. To learn more about us and to listen to past episodes, you can find us at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. So join us again next time for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast.